So we're in week three of our latest series that we call Seven, and it's actually going to go for eight weeks. But anyway, it's called Seven, and it's about the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Uh, We've been looking at those final words that Jesus gives to the churches that are in that region, and um, it was during the first century. So we've been asking ourselves this, not only, God, we want to look at your word and see what you said to those churches then, but the real question is, what is God saying to you and I in our church today, in our spiritual life today. So the Apostle John is on the island of Patmos. Uh, It's an island out in the Aegean Sea. He receives a visit from Jesus Christ himself. The light gray is where the sea is, and you can kind of see these uh, stars representing the cities. It kind of forms a little horseshoe there. One of the islands off the southern side here, the southwest side, would be the island of Patmos where he was exiled. But we talked about starting with Ephesus, that was the first week, and then Smyrna was the last week. Um, but God basically, he's, he sits down with John and he says, write these messages down. They're located in modern day Turkey. You can see that there. And a lot of them still have ruins that you can go and visit as a tourist if you choose to. Um, but I want to give you a recap about Smyrna from last week. It's one of only two churches that receive no correction from Jesus. Can I get an amen? I want to be in the church that doesn't get a spanking by God, okay? But Jesus actually, he gives correction to the other, to five other churches, but to receive no correction. They were being crushed and persecuted. I don't know if you paid attention to the news, uh, but there have been some things, some updated details. There was a bombing, two bombs that went off in a Catholic church yesterday, uh, somewhere in the world, not here in America. There's persecution that's going on all over the world, including America. And so the church that was crushed, Jesus says to Smyrna, he says, I see what you're going through. I've been through it and I'll walk with you till the finish line. What an encouragement that is, that in the suffering and in the pain, we can stand strong because of him, because of him being with us. So today we're jumping into the third church, which is at the top of that map or towards the top of that map, and it's called Pergamum. Everybody say Pergamum. That's weird. You're never going to say that ever again out loud, probably. But Pergamum is the name of the city. Now, Pergamum is a different story altogether, It is not a church that receives just encouragement. Jesus has some strong correction for this church. But let me tell you a little bit about Pergamum. It's a capital city. It was a capital city in the region for about 200 years. I told you I geek out on history a little bit. Um, I don't have pictures today to show you because it's all just ruins of like half columns standing and that sort of thing. But it was a place that they had several temples to several different deities, false gods that they had. And on the hillside, if you could just imagine, there is the ruins of these three temples that would be there. And from a distance, it kind of looks actually like a throne. You can look up pictures online later today or some other time, and you'll be able to see some of that. So Jesus opens his letter in Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. He opens his letter to the church there by saying this. It says, and to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. So Pergamum is, it was one of the only cities that had authority 
to rule themselves. I think it's important when we read the word of God, not to just read it for what it is and then walk away because you might get confused. You really should study God's word. Can I get an amen? So Pergamum was a capital city in the region and they had the ability to rule themselves. That authority was symbolized by the emblem that had a sword on it. The, the, thing, the ancient ruins and the things that you can find that are artifacts from that day, time, and place involve the emblem of a sword. A sword demonstrates authority, no doubt, but it also demonstrates the ability for things like capital punishment or justice. So Jesus, just like he has for Ephesus, just like he has for Smyrna, now he has words that are specifically designed just for them. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit can speak just to you? He can speak in a language that you understand. He talks in a way that you can really grab a hold of it. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, Jesus is described as having a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. So Jesus is reminding the church there that while Caesar might hold the sword, that Jesus holds a double-edged sword or a two-edged sword. He continues in verse 13, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Okay, this is getting really weird. Yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Leave that verse there for a few minutes. So Pergamum was, obviously it's a dark city. If Jesus is stating through John to write the letter to them, Jesus is stating that this is where Satan's throne is. Now, nowhere in scripture do you find that God has given Satan a throne, a physical one of any sort, and you don't find anything that says that he's harbored down to one single location here on earth. So when I read this, I have to understand that Jesus is using metaphorical language, saying that this is a hotbed for evil. This is a dark city that has a lot of bad stuff going on inside of it. So he, he then is going from that metaphor, talking about the Roman government that's there, obviously, and the evil that's behind that. But I, it's important for us to understand, and we've said this recently, and I'll keep saying it because it's preachable until the day I I die. And that is this. The enemy of God is the enemy of God's people. If you are God's child, and not everyone is, we've debunked that before, only those who call him father and really do have faith and believe and trust in Jesus are his children, are God's children. But in that being said, we have to understand that Satan seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The word of God says that. That he is on a, he's been on a rampage for generations trying to attack those who are God's kids. So he, he is seeking to thwart God's plans in their lives. And so he wants nothing more than to destroy this young church that's only 40, 50, maybe 60 years old at this point in this dark city. And he was persecuting those believers because they're there under Roman government, but they're Jewish believers now. They've come from Judaism. There's also Gentile converts in this city. The gospel's being preached in all of these places and people are coming to faith in Christ. But like some 
Smyrna, the Christians were experiencing persecution. They were losing their money. They were losing their job. They were losing their possessions. And in some cases, in a lot of cases, they were being martyred. Jesus commends them by saying, yet you hold fast my name. In other words, I know where you live and I've seen where you sleep. I know what you're going through. God says the same thing to us today. If you would hear his spirit speak that to your heart today, I know what you're going through. I know the situation you're in and I have not left you. There's a measure of hope in every single one of these churches, even in the toughest words that Jesus delivers. He says there, and you did not deny my faith. You didn't deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you. Again, he states, where Satan dwells. So there's a martyr mentioned here by name. I believe that he holds a special place, not only in the history of that church, but probably in heaven as well. I want to show you a picture of the supposed way that he died. It's called the brazen bull. I want you to look at this image for a moment. You may not be able to read all the text. There's a man inside of a graven image, a brazen bull, and essentially he's put into a trap door on the top side of the bull. A fire is lit underneath him so that it will heat the metal, thus burning the body, slow cooking the human on the inside. And they have instruments, they've literally put in acoustics. Mark, you would appreciate this, the technology back then, okay? Um, They put in horns or trumpets that look like that in order to amplify the sounds of the person being killed so that everyone would hear the bull roar and the smoke from the burning body, humans only inside of this, would leave the nostrils of the bull. This is absolutely terrifying to think that this is how they executed some people in those days. And tradition says that Antipas, who's mentioned in this verse, was killed, martyred for his faith just like this, given the opportunity to turn his back and say, Jesus is not my Lord, Caesar is my Lord, He said, no, I will not say that. Jesus is my Lord, and they put him inside of a contraption that looks similar to this illustration. That should really cause you to think about the level of your commitment in your faith. I've said this before. My dad said it for years, and I thought he was crazy, but now I know he's not. How many of you have ever said something your parents said and you caught yourself and you said, yep, uh, that sounds just like my dad or my mom, right? We end up learning the wisdom of that. But what I'm getting at is that my dad, when he preached messages, he would say, you know, culture is sliding down this slide. There are bad things that are happening. I can't believe the exposure that's happening for the ages that it's happening and all of that stuff of the different demographics of people. And I used to think, oh, what's the big deal? Now that I have kids, I don't watch TV while they're awake, (laughs) Because even a Diet Coke commercial has people who are living in a lifestyle that's not approved by God. 
I don't know if you've seen that commercial, but there's things in this world and I can't prevent it all. Lord knows we work in a Christian school and not everybody's Christian. Not everybody does what Christians should be doing. So we hear about this and it's invaded the church. Listen to me because I'm preaching to you today about this church, Pergamum. The same sort of thing has happened to them. Culture has stampeded into the church and they've begun to compromise what they truly began to believe at first. So this brass bull and how Antipas died is really terrifying, but it really does call into question my own commitment of what am I willing to do and or endure for the cause of Christ. So the bad news is that Jesus has some correction for them and he begins like this in verse 14. He says, but I have a few things against you. I'm okay if you got one thing against me, but if you got a few things, like that's gonna take a while and that's a lot of work, right? That's not just one thing. He says, I have a few things against you. Listen to what he says and I'm gonna explain it to you. He says, there are those, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols so that they also may practice sexual immorality. Verse 15, it says, so also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So who are these guys? Go back to verse 14, or uh, yeah, 14, there it is. The guys that are mentioned here are Balaam and Balak. Does anybody remember a talking donkey in the Bible? You should really look up the story. I don't have time to get into it today, but in Numbers chapter 22, this man, Balaam, who is considered a non-Jew in the biblical text, he is riding on a donkey and God is trying to get his attention and stop him. He doesn't see it, but the donkey turns to the side and starts going in the field. And Balaam goes, hey, and tries to get her to get back up on the road to go in that direction. Then she slams him into the side of a wall, like a retaining wall that was there, and it literally says that she pushed him into the wall, hurt his leg, and he's going, what are you doing? Well, he starts having a conversation, and she answers him. She, she says this, in all the years that you've ridden on me. Have I ever treated you like this? Doesn't that sound like a woman? I love it. <laughs> In all the, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not sexist. I love my wife. Um, here's, the, here's the idea though. She says, exactly. He should have listened the first time. So here's the idea though. He gets back up there and the Bible says as she's having this conversation with the, pro the false prophet on her back, who now she's down on the ground, bent down and she's refusing to go. The Lord opens up his eyes to see that the angel of the Lord sent by God is standing on the road with a sword. He's standing there to prevent what is about to happen. And he, then they have a conversation, the two of them together. Here's the deal. Balaam was in an alliance with Balak. This guy was a king of the enemy. And they were seeking to try to undo the advancement of the Israelites into the promised land. So here's what Balaam comes up with. And he says to the king, to Balak, here's how I know you could get them off course. If you let them marry some of the really hot, pretty ladies, I bet you 
they'd get off course because they would get all into their idols. They would start worshiping other gods and they would give in to the pleasures of the flesh. So they're seeking to thwart the, the advancement of the Israelites. Jesus is using them as an example in this moment too, saying that there are those who are putting a stumbling block before this church. There are people who have come into the church and they've actually come to the place where they are trying to undo what God wants to be done. So listen to me. If Satan cannot conquer you like a roaring lion, the Bible says he will disguise himself as an angel of light. I'm telling you, you better find a church that preaches the word of God. Wherever you go in the station of life, you better be inside a church like this one that preaches the word of God full and strong every part of it because the devil wants to come in at any tiny little weakness in that area and he wants to undo and works very quickly to undo what God wants to do. He deceives us into sin, and sometimes that even happens with a good thing that compromises our walk with God. I want you to remember this, that even a little sin impairs our relationship with God. This is very important that you hear this today because we should do some self-examination. Like I said, as we look at these churches, we're looking at, hey, what is this message to this church today? And we can say, oh, collectively to this whole church, but I really believe that the Holy Spirit just wants to speak directly to each individual here to challenge them to not compromise in any area. It says there that they were compromised in two different areas. Food sacrifice to idols, which at that point, uh, when they gave it to the temples and that sort of stuff, the leftovers got sold in the market. And it was tainted. It was tainted by evil doing and evil works before it got there. So then they were doing that and they were also practicing sexual immorality. So Balaam, Balak, and the Nicolaitans all represent compromise. We talked about the Nicolaitans and their experience in Ephesus and the message on Ephesus a few weeks ago, so I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. But Pergamum was a church that compromised with the surrounding culture. They did resist for a time, but then they began to compromise the truth. And Jesus holds this against them. I believe that we face the same challenge today that culture would love to push in in the lives of our own lives, in the lives of your kids, your grandkids, your friends, in your husband's life, in your wife's life. He wants to help you compromise the truth. The enemy wants to help you compromise the truth. So we need to repent of our compromises. Compromises happen one small step at a time. No one ever says, I'm going to turn from God today and I'm going to compromise my faith. No one ever says out loud, I'm going to go sleep with someone this weekend, never been tempted about it before, but I'm gonna ruin my marriage this weekend. Nobody, nobody does that. It starts with a small step in the wrong direction. And you've gotta remember, if you don't know this, I'll remind you or tell you for the first time that repentance that Jesus says to each of these churches, when he gives them hope, he says, repent therefore. When he says that, he says, I want you to about face, come back in my direction, stop doing what you're doing and start doing the right thing. The deception 
with compromise is that every time we do it, we really do become emptier and hungrier. You can compromise on your taxes. I mean, we, we could talk about sexual immorality and we will in just a moment, but there are people who compromise their integrity by not sharing the truth or speaking gossip or, or sharing something that's half true, that's not really found. There's a ton of ways that you could compromise. And if you've done it for 20 years, start fresh today saying, God, I'm turning from this thing. It's gonna be a hard road. We say this all the time in our church. We believe that God is a miracle worker, but he is not a magician. He doesn't just wave a wand and make all of the desires disappear and all of that. There will still be days that are troublesome and hard. But it's worth going back to him. He's got a reward that he gives to the church and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But compromise can happen in any area of your life. So I believe without listing the 30 different things that I could think of that the Holy Spirit is even speaking to you today, right now, he's got his finger on a button in your heart in the area where you are compromising, where you're not living up to God's standard, where you're intentionally doing, this. Is, we're not talking about mistakes like a little kid that doesn't know any better. We're talking about we know that we know that we're walking in the wrong direction and the Holy Spirit wants to help you right now. He's so good. I want you to get that today, that there's grace and freedom. I really believe that with all of my heart. I've experienced freedom in my own life because I've turned things over to the Lord. I've turned relationships over to him, situations over to him, sins over to him, and every single time I do that with genuineness and sincerity in my heart, I find freedom. The Bible actually declares this, that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, there's freedom. He doesn't want you bound up. Somebody say amen. Amen. He doesn't want you bound up. But let me, let me focus for just a moment on an area that binds a lot of people up and it bound up the people there in Pergamum. And it's the area of sexual immorality. It's in the passage that we're looking at. The Greek word that's used there is the word pornea. And it can be defined as this in biblical understanding. You can find verses on all of these things, but sexual immorality includes all of these and leave that up for just a moment. That would be adultery. That would be premarital sex before you are married and committed to one another to live with each other forever. That would be extramarital sex. It would be homosexuality. It would be lesbianism, any variant of those things. It would be bestiality, which is a far thought from anybody here. It was a big deal then. And there's a huge portion of online pornography that actually focuses on this. It involves a human and an animal. This is, it's a sick world that we've been living in. The next thing would be incest, then sex with a divorced man or woman. You say, pastor, that's in the word of God? It is. It deserves your deeper study. Here's the deal. Look at me, church. Here's the deal. When I said taxes a minute ago, when I said integrity, when I say sexual immorality, you might just say, oh, that's not that big of a deal, I'm good. The Holy, that's you having a tug of war with the Holy Spirit. So I want you to hear this very clearly today because we try to do our best to preach the unadulterated, no pun intended, 
The unadulterated word of God, not messed with word of God. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians and let me tell you a little bit more about this. 1 Thessalonians chapter four, it'll be on the screen. It says this, Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from all the stuff we just listed. That's what it says, that you abstain from sexual immorality. It says in verse four that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. I think there's an issue with all of us as believers, not just regarding this item right here, but the item of self-control. How many of you say you are a master at self-control? Anybody? I'm not going to put my hand up for that. You ate too, too many cookies last night. You know you have a problem with self-control, okay? Whatever the issue is. Here it says this, each one of you ought to know how to control his own body, and we could say his or her own body, in holiness and in honor. Verse five says this, not in the passion of lust like the ones who don't know God. You're, you're not supposed to be like the world, you're supposed to be different. I think for the longest time, we've tried to say, hey, the closer I look like them, the easier it will be for me to be able to win them. But that's not true. In fact, what's ended up happening is it taints our understanding of what God's word really says. There are Jews today who are orthodox. They rock some, the men rock some curls and longer beards than me. They wear funny looking clothes. They wear a Bible on their head. That little box that you see is an actual full scroll of the Torah, the law of God. They've got different customs and things that they do. They are a people set apart. And I fear the danger for us as a church is that even now in the 21st century, maybe now more than ever before, we are no longer set apart. Nudge your neighbor and say this for you. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Don't do that. compromise. It happens. Verse six of this same passage, it says that no one transgress, no one does wrong and wrongs his brother in this matter. Listen to the warning Paul gives in verse six, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. I don't know about you, but if I get a solemn warning from someone, I start changing my behavior, <laughs> okay? And this is what Paul is saying. We already told you this, but you need to remember that we told you this. In verse seven, for God has not called us for impurity, but we could say for, it says they're in, but for holiness. So he, he doesn't want you dirty. His job is to clean you up. You can't clean yourself up in your own strength. Can I get an amen? amen? Right? You cannot do that in your own power. But that shouldn't be a cop-out for you doing the hard work that says, I will walk in the best way I know how according to God's word. There are matters of conscience, and I've actually been sharing that with my students in my Bible classes, talking about the matters of conscience that are throughout the Bible and what we could say even today some of those matters are. This is not a matter of what you choose. This is a direct command from the Lord in all of these areas. That screen again, sexual immorality includes these things. All of them 
are considered tainting or soiling the people of God. Verse eight, it says, therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So these are strong words to the church. You gotta remember, they're not writing this to the world, telling people stop sleeping with each other on your first date and having one night stands. That's not what Paul's doing. Paul is writing to a church and he's saying, don't disregard the words I speak because you're not disregarding me, you're disregarding God. And he's already put his Holy Spirit in you and you are violating the Holy Spirit's will when you do this. I'm telling you, you could write it off and say, well, I don't have a problem with my sex life. Here's the deal. You have an issue with gossip, with integrity, with speech, with anything else. All of these things, God has given you the Holy Spirit and he doesn't like being mad. <laughs> I know that sounds really casual, but he doesn't like to get ticked off. He doesn't stay where he's not welcome. And you can't pretend that he's welcome if you live a life that is in disregard to all of his commands. It's a hard message that he's given to the church in Pergamum and it's a worthy message for each one of us to consider here and now in the 21st century. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 6.18 says. It says, flee from sexual immorality. When I, when I read that and I've, done some study on this verse and the word flea. Obviously, it's talking about running. It's not talking about the little flea on a dog. It says run from this. I think of Joseph being caught by Potiphar's wife. He was in such a hurry to get out of that place. He ran out without his coat because he said, I am not gonna be part of this. That's what Paul is hinting at. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So the Christians in Pergamum were living in compromise. Let's put up that graphic that shows the stats. Here are some stats for internet pornography. It says this, that 12% of websites on the internet are pornographic. Look at me for just a second. 12% is not a whole lot. <laughs> we ask you to give 10% because God's word says give 10%. It's not a whole lot. 12% doesn't seem a lot until you look at the number. That's 24 million sites. This is mind blowing. This is not a man problem. This is not a woman problem. This is a church problem too. Every second, $3,000 is spent on online pornography. 28,000, more than 28,000 internet users are viewing porn every second of the day. This is mind blowing. 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. And if you thought it was just a man problem, bottom left underneath number three, one in three porn viewers are women. 70% of men aged 18 to 24, they visited uh, sites in a typical month. And then it says there in the US, number four, internet porn pulls almost 3 billion per year. The entire worldwide industry is 5 billion, close to 5 billion. And we in America contribute $3 billion to this. Now, my goal today is not to just talk about something like this and highlight a problem. I think the idea is, and you can leave that up there for just a moment, the idea is what area are you compromising in? Jesus hit this one hard with that church and said, y'all gotta stop. 
And this is something that we, as believers, as men and women, should support one another as we are coming out of any type of addiction. But specifically this, this can erode marriages and families faster than you could blink. So what areas are you tempted to compromise in? What cultural temptation has its hooks in you? I already told you, it's tough to not watch TV while my kids are awake. And I'm not telling you that that's the Bible and God's gospel for you, but we have a habit of doing that in our house because we are never sure what will be on there, even in a commercial. And we've already had uncomfortable conversations that are way too young that violate the innocence of my own children because of something they've been exposed to prematurely. You say, well, it's gonna happen. I mean, have the conversation. I'm not against having the conversation, but I'm telling you, God has put me on this earth to love this woman and love those kids and to guide my family. So that's a cultural compromise and it's a temptation. I wanna watch the show I wanna watch and tell them go hide and go away or whatever, but I'm telling you, this is important. You've gotta figure this out for yourself. Regarding this right here, pornography and its addictive quality, I wanna show you two, two things that will help you to get freedom. If you're here today and if you're a man or a woman, you can utilize, go to these websites, you can take a picture of the screen, go to these websites, they have apps that you can download, they're accountability apps, they track your website traffic, they will email a buddy or a girlfriend of yours um, to tell what sites you've been visiting. You'll have to have conversations with them that they meet you for coffee and then say, hey, so I got your report for your websites this week. Looks like you spent so-and-so time looking at these sites. It blocks sites if you set it up to do that. There's a way out. There's a way, I'm, I'm telling you, God is a miracle worker, but he's not a magician. And I believe that's gospel. I believe that if I turn and repent from my sin and start walking, there's still a hook in me dragging me back and there's a fight that I've got to keep going and I need brothers and sisters, as the case may be, to help encourage me to no longer compromise in whatever area of life that I'm compromising in. So there is a way for you to find freedom today. We're going to pray at the end of this service, pray for freedom where I'm not gonna say, if you're addicted to porn, come up here to the front and everybody see, we're not doing that. But here's what I'm gonna tell you. I wanna prep your heart right now. God is in this place. I believe he wants you to find freedom today. See, in Pergamum, the truth was no longer valued. It was all about personal preference. Does that sound like our world today? It's okay as, as long as you really love Jesus but Jesus says something different in verse 16. Says this, therefore repent. If not, verse 16 of Revelation chapter two says this, therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus is willing to fight for the truth. And he's willing to take his people with him to the finish line. We already know that from the previous church. But here he says, I'm willing to come in and divide and conquer, if you will, and take out the stuff that is tainting the body of Christ. So the work begins with you individually. 
You have to have a willingness to say, God, root that stuff out in me. The unforgiveness I hold to the family member, the bitterness I walk around with, the gossip that I keep being tempted by, the sexual immorality, whatever it is, from the smaller to the bigger, whatever, however you value those things, God himself wants you to find freedom and he's willing to fight for the truth. And if we're honest, all of us have compromised in some area of our life at some point, right? Lift your hand if you've ever compromised on something. That's 100% of us. Jesus doesn't seem very meek and mild and loving. You say, well, why is he so upset? Because compromise leads to spiritual demise. There's a loss of power in your own life. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and if you've grown in your faith and then you begin to slide into compromise, there's these moments where it starts being eroded and all of a sudden there's no power there. And this is the understanding that we have throughout every page of scripture that when the people of God have compromised, it led to spiritual demise. Another thing it does is it leads to relational demise. It causes major issues in relationships in ways that you could never foresee. You say, really? It could? Yes, compromise in any area of your life can lead to breakdowns in your relationship. So don't be fooled. You may think that you're not hurting anyone, but we do hurt those we love when we compromised. And most of all, we hurt Jesus. And I wanna say we offend the Holy Spirit. He wants, he wants to be all in in your life. And I think that's the challenge for each one of these churches. There's this thought that's underlying all of it, underpinning all of it, that is, is he all in? Are you all in? Obviously, the responsibility does not lie with Jesus. He's not half-hearted in his love towards you. He's not half-hearted in his grace towards you, Amen. He's not half-hearted in the strength that he wants to give and the power he wants to deliver to your life, but we can be, and this happens in a slide slowly over time. He died to wash us clean and to set us apart from the world around us so that we could reflect him, and he died to set us free. So he gives us this invitation in verse 16 to repent and to turn back. That means that it is a change of heart. It's a change of mind and it's a change of direction. If you've been doing something wrong, and I say this to my students and I've made this a motto in my life, practice doesn't make perfect unless you're practicing correctly. Hello? Because if you practice wrong, you'll be perfectly wrong. It doesn't make it perfect, it makes it permanent. The repetition of a thing. My daughter, Brighton, was sharing the other night at the dinner table. We were talking about the day, and she said, we just keep talking about adjectives every day. She won't stop talking about... And and we had to tell her, because she was really complaining. We had to tell her, listen, your teacher is building a foundation that you're going to use for the next years of your schooling. You'll need to know this in every one of your English classes, all the way through college, and the rest of your life. You'll need to know this. So you've got to get it repeated repeated over and over and over. So listen to me, church, if you've been repeating something bad over and over and over, you've got to turn and then you've got to start walking in a new direction. You, 
I sang this song a couple weeks ago. You've got the power. Amen? The Bible says that when we're tempted to sin, listen to me, especially those who feel the Holy Spirit about a certain temptation today. When we're tempted to sin, God's word promises us that there is no temptation that you cannot handle that God will not provide a way of escape for. You have a way out. You just don't choose it. (laughs) I haven't chosen it sometimes. I've given into it, right? We've gone with the lie, gone with the loss of integrity, gone with whatever it might be. And God's word is clear. He won't allow us to be tempted greater than we can handle but we can't handle it alone. So here's what you do. If you realize today that you've compromised and you've moved away from God, then you need to ask him to graciously accept you back and to start walking in the right direction. That means visiting one of these good websites that we had up on the screen. That might mean talking with the friend that you always gossip with to tell them, that you're not going to gossip any longer, to ask them for forgiveness that you did gossip. You might need to talk to the person you gossiped about. I'm sorry, let me skip that page. I'm going to the last point. Uh, Hello, do you understand what I'm getting at today? God's people are supposed to be different. No person in my secular workplaces that I worked in financial institutions and retail and hospitality, hotels, all this stuff, none of those people ever had the heart to apologize for certain things that they should have apologized for. But the people of God have been clear about, pastor, I'm really sorry I said something out of turn or pastor, I've walked in this way and now I... The people of God are supposed to be different. I needed to go and apologize to them several times about different things throughout my work life with them. And I had to stand apart and say, I'm humbled in this moment and I'm sorry and ask for forgiveness. This is what the people of God are supposed to look like. We'll make him so happy if we look like he wants us to if we repent and start walking in the right direction. Worship team, would you come and join me? Verse 17, it says this, that he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, manna that's mentioned in the Old Testament that was given as God's provision to the children of Israel while they're in the wilderness. He says, I've got hidden goodies for you, provision for you. And I will give him, listen to me, church, did you hear what I said a few minutes ago? They were suffering persecution, losing their jobs and their livelihood and their businesses. And God is saying, I'm going to provide for you if you listen to me. And it says, I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who, I believe the next part says, bears it, receives it. Go back to the first part of 17. The white stone there is important because again, this is a context clue for the church in Pergamum. There are marble quarries and mines around there and all of the statues and the temples had these big ornate places that had marble. The statues were made of marble. And here's something else that's interesting, maybe to those who are, uh, anybody ever been to a concert and had to take a ticket with you? Hello? Back in those days, they didn't have Ticketmaster. 
They actually gave out, you can look at this in history, they actually gave out specifically in this city, in order to attend one of their shows at the amphitheater, you had to have a white stone. It gave you access. That white stone that had an imprint on it that said you had permission to come here. I want you to hear with your spiritual ears today. God says, if you return to me, I'll give you full access. And I think about the people whose names have been changed in scripture. People like Abram, people like his wife, Sarah, all of those people, Jacob, whose name was changed. What, it, what that means is a new name means a new identity. Right. It means you're different. Jesus is here today speaking to the church through this imperfect vessel using his perfect words to the church in Pergamum saying, will you please come back? There's bad stuff. Bad stuff's going to happen if you don't. Please come back. That's how much he loves us. Would you stand with me today? No matter how much you've compromised in the past and no matter what you've compromised on in the past, Christ came to set you free. We believe this and preach this every week in some way, shape, form, or fashion that today can be a blank slate. You can get that old stuff wiped away and the purity of God himself can be given to you to make all things new. I love the words that are mentioned throughout Revelation that it is he, we call him Lord Jesus Christ, he that makes all things new. And he wants to help you. It might be just something small, but you've got to repent from your error, your sin, and your compromise. And then we've got to walk with him every step of the way. So would you close your eyes for just a moment? The worship team's going to play one last song. I would encourage you today, if you need to just get some space between you and the person next to you, you can do that. You can go to these prayer stations. Miss Meg will be at the prayer station over here and I'll be at this prayer station. We want to pray for you to help you today. But if you don't, if you want to just stay in your seat, that's fine. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to have an honest conversation with the Lord because he knows what you're dealing with. He knows the sin you struggle with. He knows the temptation you've given into. He knows all the compromise and yet he loves you and he wants you to be pure and clean and holy and fresh before him today like a brand new, brand new identity can be given to you. A name that's written on it that's only known by the one who receives it. I think of that verse and I think of the fact that I call my kids by a pet name and many of you might have a pet name for your spouse or for your kids. I think to myself, that's an intimate thing to call someone by their pet name. And Jesus says, I'm gonna give you a name that you and I know because I love you that much and we're that close. So close your eyes right now and begin to pray. Lord, I pray over Celebrate Church that this church would represent holiness according to your word, that there would not be compromise. Lord, I've prayed over this message throughout this week in my own life. I pray it over my people and your people today that we would root out sin wherever it hides, pride, anger, bitterness, gossip, sexual immorality, no matter how big, no matter how small. God, I pray today that you would release freedom in this place today, God. We believe that where you're 
Spirit is, there's freedom and liberty. So set us free today and help us to walk with you in Jesus' name.